Hello and welcome to our London review of the 2022 World Cup quarterfinals. Luka Modric was in gear, Neymar was in tears, and Portugal and Gonzalo Ramos got caught with their trousers down as the Atlas Lions roared their way into the semi-final. Let's start with Croatia's shock penalty win over Brazil. What do you think of the performance, Ollie? It was very much um, a case of have a game plan and execute it to perfection for Zarko Dalic's side, I thought. Um, they set up 4-3-3, but they were very much you know, dropping into a 4-5-1. For the, mo- for the majority of the game, Brazil were obviously coming on to them. They went for it, and why shouldn't they? With the, you know, the attacking midfield trident of Vinicius, Neymar, Rafinha, um, Richarlison to an extent playing. As sort of that um, of that fo- of that of that faux neuf um, to quote to coin a French phrase, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think they obviously they obviously went with a with a very very attacking mentality that uh, that Chiche has adopted for the entire tournament. Lucas Paqueta was alongside Casemiro and a lot more of a fluid midfield three. Um, but I think Croatia held held them. Held them very well. I think they defended solidly. Um, we need to, we need to um, talk about Joshua Valiol and um, Borna Soda on the left hand side of our Croatian defence as well. They were both they were both absolutely outstanding. Um, Guardiol obviously only twenty only twenty and alongside you know the experienced Dejan Lovren um, and Borna Soda really offering that um, that thrust and that guile down that left hand side um, on the overlap um, as Ivan Perisic moved inside. So I think. You know, it was a it was a it was a very professional performance from Croatia. Um, I think we'll get on to talk about Brazil's penalty order in a second. But you know, two penalty wins on the bounce now um, for the Croatians. They're really acting their way through this tournament, um, and I think they will um, definitely um, yeah they'll definitely give Argentina a run for their money in so far. So, Charlie, Brazil have been knocked out of the quarterfinal stage at the last four World Cups. Uh, or sorry, four of the last five major tournaments. What is going wrong for Chiche's side? I don't know. It's a it's a it's a strange one because obviously since well two thousand and two, last time Brazil won a World Cup was twenty years now. I mean, as England fans, we know oh, that's guys. not that's not a long time to wait, really, considering how long we're waiting. But for Brazil, that's that's quite some barren run. Um, and everyone really had them as their pretty much they were widely tipped as favourites heading into Qatar. I'm an exciting squad. Neymar, arguably some of the best forms of his career at PSG in his prime at 30. Some really exciting players around him, like Vinicius Junior, etc. And it just didn't really happen for him. You know, they played some. They played some really nice football um, throughout the tournament, uh, particularly that first half against South Korea. This game against Croatia, though, they kind of first half not really at it. Second half, they definitely were. They were on top of Croatia quite comfortably. I felt, and then. You get they get themselves into a winning position with not long to go. A great goal from Neymar, who actually ironically hadn't really had the best of games, um, but he turned up in a big moment, delivered for his country, as he so often has down the years to equal Pele's record. And then for whatever reason, they just had a lapse of concentration, kind of last couple of minutes, and concede a goal which all right takes a bit of a deflection, but they should never have conceded it. You know, uh, they took off. I think he took off Militao, and that goal came down that that side. Um, I'm not saying you know they left him on; they wouldn't have conceded that. But it's perhaps something you have to look at. I think his subs in general were a little bit suspect. I think taking off Vinicius Junior quite early probably wasn't the best the best choices. He subsequently stepped down now as manager. I think that's probably right considering that um, 
you know, his cycles probably come to an end now. And I don't, I don't know, I think it's a bit of a crossroads for Brazilian football about sort of where they sort of kind of go next because they've got such a talented group of players in Brazil, flair players, they always produce very good footballers, but for whatever reason on the world stage, they they come up short more often than not in games that they they should win. Like they probably should have beaten Belgium in 2018. They should have beaten Croatia in this game. And I don't really know what the missing ingredient is because there is quality all over the pitch and there's no reason why that team shouldn't be winning World Cups again. Well, that's a really interesting point. So, I mean, Croatia are such a strong side, but what you really see from them is this consistent endurance. I mean, through their 2018 World Cup final run, every game except the final was on extra time or penalties, and it's been the same with their last 16 game against Japan and their quarter-final here against Brazil. Alex, where do you think this, where do you think this endurance comes from? What, how do they do it? I don't know if it, I I'm not sure, it's just that kind of Croatian spirit, that endurance that has, has led to, the, to this point. I mean, it's not just this tournament, as you say, 2018, 1998, they also made the semi-finals. Um, they're a team that's just historically, in recent history, become a pretty successful nation for such a small nation, I think three, four million mm-hmm. population. They've done fantastically well. Um, I mean, it's not just that you've got the class of Luka Modric at 37, surely one of the greatest midfielders of all time, um, <laughs> along with, you know, and in the past you had the likes of Rakitic. Um, you know, they, 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 do, they do produce brilliant players, mostly midfield players, actually, still obviously Kovacic and Brozovic. As long as you have a good midfield to build, and, and obviously, you know, Guardiola at the back, um, you're always going to get good results um, with, with, you know, outstanding players like that. So it's, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm quite surprised because they haven't always uh, wowed me so far in this tournament. I don't think they were great against Belgium. Belgium could have easily uh, won that game. Japan, I think Japan were probably the better team first 60 minutes of the game. Uh, and, you know, on Friday, Brazil were probably the better side. I don't think Croatia had a shot on target until the goal. But that endurance, that's what you need in this tournament is knockout football. Not, not necessarily the best team wins you know wins each match i mean it's kind of the, it's the team that has the, i don't know the most togetherness kind of i guess a bit of luck um and quality at vital moments in croatia have had that four years ago and um yeah so far in this tournament i think you're right there alex i think that we talk about um the endurance of croatia show and obviously we we harken it back to you know we harken it back to their spirit we harken it back to their to their quality especially to a man in the and in the engine room with modric kovacic and Marcelo Brozovic, but I think it's also a case of some really, really good squad depth as well. I mean, if, especially in the back line, you, you speak about uh, Joshua Kvadiol, but obviously when, when Kvadiol drops out, you've got, um, you've got Vida, you've got Dominic uh, Vida, who was the, obviously the World Cup finalist centre-back alongside, alongside Lovren in 2018. Um, you've, got, you know, got, you've got big names like Borna Barisic and Josip Stanisic as well from Bayern Munich, who are, who are both on the bench and both in the squad. Um, we've got Ma- uh, Martin Alic as well, who's a Sassuolo, who's, a, who's quite a competent centre-back as well, that can fill in. So you've got a whole host of, you've got a whole host of, of quality players that are sat on the bench that can then come on for the last 20 minutes or come on for those, those important periods of extra time to, um, to make a difference and to really either guide the team's penalties as they have done in the past, in the past couple of World Cups and the uh, past couple of World Cup games and in tournaments prior. In tournaments prior. But at the same time, um, they can come on and even change the game to an extent 
and turn, turn the tide back in Croatia's favour. Just think lastly on Croatia, just think there's a big thing to be said for a togetherness and everyone knowing exactly what their job is. And I think that can very often, particularly in international football, make up for perhaps a lack of slight lack of quality compared to the opposition. There's no mistake about it. Brazil, far more talented, far much far more quality than Croatia have got. But because Croatia, you probably argue more of a team unit, everyone works towards the same cause, everyone knows exactly what they're gonna do. That often makes up for a slight lack of quality within within playing staff. So I think just Croatia is sort of, yes, they've got good players, but everyone knows exactly what their job is. Everyone's buying into the same ethos. There's no massive egos, and you're kind of seeing the rewards of that. Yeah, it's something we've definitely seen with Morocco too. I mean, I know they're not the focus of this podcast, but what they've really shown is if you are well organised and if you believe in a common ideal, there's no real, no real sort of ceiling to what you can do. But anyway... Brazil's star player of the last decade has been Neymar. As Alex mentioned earlier, he's one of the, the greats of our generation. But how is he going to be viewed now? I mean, for his, the next World Cup, he'll be 34. It's every chance he might play play in it, but he will probably be a bit over the hill. Is he always going to be seen as one of football's nearly men? It's, it's tricky because you look at Neymar and you think as a, as a youngster coming through at Santos... Phenomenal talent, one of the most exciting Brazilian players, possibly of all time, definitely of, of, of his generation. Gets that move to Barcelona, plays some outstanding football, that front three with Messi and Suarez, possibly one of the greatest front threes of all time. But you could tell that like making that move to PSG hasn't really worked out for him. I think he, he left there because he wanted to move out of the shadow of Messi and become like the best player in the world, win Ballon d'Or. That's not really happened for him. And But for Brazil... It's always been, the, nation, rest, the nation's hopes have always rested on his shoulders. It's always been down to, can Neymar deliver for Brazil? Can, will he do this? Will it be his tournament? Will he drag them to the first World Cup in 20 years? And I think it's important not to underestimate the pressure of having the whole nation on your shoulders for you to step up and to actually perform for your country. Yes, obviously, it's everyone else contributes in the team, but everyone's looking to Neymar to make something happen. And... You know, look, he equaled Pele's record with a great goal in that quarterfinal. Um, I don't think there's any doubt in his ability as a footballer or how he will be remembered. But ultimately, to win a World Cup is really difficult. You get one crack every four years, and it's so much more than just one player having to play well. You've got to have a collective's got to come together. You've got to have a bit of luck. You've got to make sure that key people aren't injured. But I just, I don't know, you look at Neymar's career and you just think, He's, he's had a fantastic career. Like A lot of players would do anything to have the career he's had. But you look at it and how talented he is, and you just think there's a lot of what-ifs left because he's done very well, but then there's also... He's so close to like being one of the greats, but at the moment, I think he's ju- he just falls beneath for me. Oh, yeah, I think to add on to your point, Charlie, um, you spoke about Neymar leaving Barcelona to get out of Messi's shadow and go to Paris Saint-Germain. Obviously now... He's back in Messi's shadow at Paris Saint-Germain. We're not sure how long for um, with Messi perhaps about to go to the MLS. But I think I think it also works the opposite way, especially when we talk about Brazil. Um, we speak about obviously Neymar as a talismanic figure as has been, as you said, George, for the last decade. Um, and I think we think about Brazil's squad at the moment, current crop of players. They've got some fantastic players, as we alluded to, Vinicius Jr., Rafinha, Richarlison, um, Lucas Paqueta has played very, very well in an international jersey. Um, I think there are times when some of these players are a little bit more 
that the, the owners so much on Neymar to drive the success, to drive Brazil forward, to to you know to getting back to, to winning the World Cup as they were as they were um, as they were in their glory days. Um, that these these fantastic players around Neymar are you know somewhat um, somewhat in, go somewhat go back into their shells because um, because they've got this superstar that obviously the whole nation is looking to to make something happen and suddenly you've got these forgotten men in particular you know with Vinicius Junior who's played fantastically well for for Real Madrid in the last couple of years um, that some that just get shunted off to the side and suddenly they think well maybe if my my performance isn't my performances doesn't really matter don't really matter because Neymar, because Neymar's in the team and everyone's going to look at him. And maybe it could, could even be a case now that they're out um, that all the responsibility comes, um, is put on Neymar and everyone says, well, why is... Everyone says, well, Neymar's, Neymar's to blame for this because he was our one and only hope going into the tournament. Um, when in actual fact, they had, a whole, they had a, whole, um, a whole amount of quality going into that tournament. I think that a lot of players underperformed. I think Vinicius Junior was one of them. Um, we speak about Rodrigo missing the penalty as well. I don't think he played particularly well when he featured. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's also a case of Neymar perhaps being too big an individual for a more of a team. Game. Yeah, just briefly on that. Sorry, I was coming. Um, it almost feels like with Brazil as well. It's not about winning the World Cup for Brazil. It's almost like can they win the World Cup for Neymar? And it and it shouldn't be like that. They should be trying to win it as a collective. And you almost feel that like everyone's trying so hard to get Neymar to win. The World Cup, rather than f- focusing on the on the team element and focusing on let's let's try and win a World Cup as Brazil. Let's not have ten players trying to win a World Cup for Neymar. I think that perhaps the mindset has almost become too Neymar orientated for Brazil. Yeah, I was just quickly just going to say I think also Neymar is is that's when I, I I'm kind of uncomfortable when people just rank a player on the World Cup because if you if you look at Neymar, I, th- I think he had a decent tournament. You know, I think he did all he could. He, he scored his goal in extra time and. I didn't expect Croatia to come back and obviously win on penalties. And if you go back 2014, played brilliantly well. And you know he was only 22 back then. Home to- home tournament, Every- all this pressure on his on his shoulders. He played really really well up to the quarterfinals. And obviously got that injury out for the semis, and we all know what happened there. So like he's been unlucky. And actually, I thought he was enjoying not having as much. I didn't think he had as much pressure on him because I thought he was operating in a more central role with Vinicius Junior and I agree with you actually later on in the tournament Vinicius Junior's level dropped but the first the, the Serbia game it felt right because I remember Vinicius especially second half had a really great game and it was Neymar I remember that starts kind of the first goal I think not the Richard's incredible goal like just the, the tapping um, it's, it's the Vinicius shot but initially the, 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 the passage of play begins with Neymar going past someone centrally kind of a jinking run um, and Vinicius hitting the shot so, yeah, I just think Neymar, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but he's been unlucky in, in tournaments, uh, especially World Cups. Well, just to finish on the Croatia-Brazil game, the man who thwarted Neymar all night was Dominic Lavakovic, and he's been brilliant as a penalty saver and just as a goalkeeper all through this game and through the tournament. Talk to me a bit about him, Oli. Um, I just love him as a goalkeeper. I think he's one of those that has really gone under the radar, especially in the goalkeeping um, branch of the transfer market. And I still can't believe how he's still playing the Croatian league. Um, he's just he's just that complete goalkeeper, isn't he? I think he's got. I think his distribution is probably something that he can he can work on the most. Um, but it still doesn't mean that it's not it's not it's not second to none um, on his day. And I think that he's got that he's got that range of pass, he can clip it out to the fullback, he can clip it long towards Bruno Pekovic as we saw in those latter stages of extra time against Brazil. 
Um, well, I also think as a shot stopper as well, as a, as a penalty saver, he's obviously been Croatia's um, match winner twice now in, the, in their two previous shootouts um, against Japan and Brazil. So I think that, um, yeah, I think, the, I think Lovakovic has to get some sort of big move. I think we'll, um, we'll get that off the back of this World Cup. Interesting. So the other quarterfinal we're going to be discussing is Netherlands 2, Argentina 2. Argentina won on penalties. Lionel Messi's one step closer to getting that World Cup. But one of the most interesting things about this game was what Louis van Gaal chose to do when his side needed two goals. Talk to me a bit about that, Charlie. Yeah, well, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because it's not something we associate seeing that much in sort of modern day football, sort of the classic old school chuck two big guys on up front and just lump balls into the box and, and, and see what happens. I don't blame him for doing it at all because he's got the option to do it. You're 2-0 down with, what, 20-odd minutes, 15, 20 minutes to go in a game. You've got nothing to lose. You might, you've got to switch it up, try something different. And Argentina were pretty much in control of that game, quite comfortable. Um, Holland not really offering an awful lot going forward at all. It's mad how all of a sudden you put two big guys on in Valverde and Luke de Jong. And Argentina suddenly looked like they have got no idea how to defend. They just didn't know how to do it. It was ball, ball after ball into the box, wave after wave of attack. And, you know, particularly those two guys up against Lissandro Martinez's lack of height um, as well. I mean, not, not that makes a massive difference, but it's kind of, it is quite a big mismatch there. And they just caused all sorts of problems. And they thoroughly deserve to get back into the game. Um, because from those 15 minutes on, they, those guys were on the pitch. Holland were the better side by miles. It was an absolute barrage from them. They get... They get the goal through Berghorst, the header, which is nice. I think Berghorst puts a, puts a good ball into the box and it's, and it's a good header. And then you're thinking, there could be probably something else coming here. And I have to say, the set piece, by the way, is, is phenomenal to even think about trying that in, what, the 100th minute, 10 minutes added on. Everyone's thinking, right, he's going to go for a shot here. To play it under the wall, I know he gets, it might get a slight deflection or whatever, but it's, it's such a great set piece. And to do that at that point of a game is... It's, it's outstanding. They, the Dutch thoroughly deserved it. But where I think they went wrong is that they had Argentina on the ropes for, for, for from when those two big guys came on. They stopped playing an extra time. They stopped doing what had worked so well in that 15 minutes. They stopped putting balls into the box. They stopped applying pressure. And they invited, they just sat deep and they invited Argentina and pressure onto them. And Argentina looked more likely to get a winning goal in that extra time period. So I just feel for Holland that that roll of the dice from Van Gaal worked really well. But then an extra time when they were in the driving seat, they stopped doing what worked so well at the end of that 90 minutes. And I think ultimately that's probably what's cost them because I do feel that if they carried on putting those balls into the box, putting Argentina under pressure, they probably would have found a breakthrough, but they just sat off and ultimately paid the biggest price for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was a bad-tempered game. Um, I saw Antonio Messi de la Haas has gave out 15 yellow cards and has now been sent home for the rest of the tournament. There's a, there's a real history to this rivalry, isn't there, Alex? I mean, talk to me a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the obviously the 1978 final, um, obviously with Argentina winning on that occasion, but you've got 1990, France 98 with Bergkamp's late winner, and you've actually, of course, you've got the semi-final, which actually went, obviously, in similar fashion, going down to penalties. It's interesting, because I watched the first half an hour of the match, and I really thought this was 2014 all over again because it just looked like they were cancelling each other out and it took a bit of genius from Lionel Messi to actually, you know, obviously thread the pass through for the first goal to actually liven up the occasion. I, I think it could have easily been a, a stalemate for 120 minutes, no goals scored um, 
after that first half an hour. Um, and I guess what transpired after the game, and uh, I guess during the games, you know, bad-tempered, ill-affaired. I think a lot of the Argentinian players weren't happy with what Louis van Gaal was saying for the game, even though if you actually look into the comments, it's nothing too sinister. I think there might be a mistranslation um, because I don't think it, there was too much said pre-match. I just think Van Hal said, I think we'll be prepared for the penalties. Maybe he, he said, I think we'll be better prepared than Argentina. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, Lionel Messi took exception to that. Um, obviously, on the pitch, quite a shy, unassuming character. Um, but he really wasn't happy at all, uh, firstly with the referee and then, of course, with Van Hal. Um, after the match but as you say it just adds to kind of the history between these two nations I mean you can definitely say it is an international rivalry um, international footballing rivalry um, so yeah yeah interesting you mentioned Messi there he has been exceptional all tournaments um, do you think he can take this team to the world to the World Cup Oleg? I don't think so I think they will I think they'll come I think they will just about come through this game against Croatia that's coming up. Um, but I think they will fall short against France in the final. Um, it's, it's funny though, talking a little bit more broadly about Argentina, um, I, was quite, I was quite surprised to see um, Lionel Scaloni go for, the, go for a 5-3-2 again against Holland. And I think he was trying to, trying to you know, outthink Louis van Gaal and try and match him up because Holland have actually gone out, have actually come out with a three-four-one-two as they did as they did against Argentina. Um, so it was quite it was quite a strange thing for them to do. I think the wing backs worked very well. I think Molina obviously scored that opening goal um, and was a real threat uh, down the right hand side. I thought Marcus Acuna worked very hard um, on the opposite side as well, and you know that that allows uh, that allowed them to bring Sandro Martinez in as well, who who obviously played very well. Um, but obviously, then they then got found out. They then got found out in the um, in the latter stage of the second half when Van Hal obviously went to went to the four four two and went really really Brexit ball for want of a better phrase, and um, yeah, I think that I think the tactical nuance that that Scaloni has showed. Remember, remember how remember that Scaloni is the youngest coach of the tournament, and I think he's shown a real um, real good tactical nous to you know be able to switch things up. I'm not sure that five three two really works, and I don't particularly like five three two myself. Um, but obviously, it was enough to cancel out the threat of of, of Holland, um, and similarly, it um, I think it showed as well the respect that Scaloni has for Louis van Gaal and has for and has for the Netherlands. I think he thought that the Netherlands are a team that could really cause problems here, um, because Argentina hadn't really faced a team that caused them too much, too many problems, with obviously the obvious exception being Saudi Arabia in the opening game. Um, so I think they obviously had that real respect for for Holland going into that game. Um, but I would expect them to go back to their traditional back four um, come at the semi-final and then potentially the final if we're talking um, talk about Lionel Messi. I do just think that the last 50 minutes will, you know, of, of the quarter-final in normal time will, will perhaps help Argentina going forward because of course you've gone about the long balls and, and that but they also just stopped playing. You know, they just, they just stopped playing. I don't know if they thought the result was done but they kind of just allowed the Netherlands back into the game and I just think that's kind of no, to go through that and still come out, I know it was on penalties, but on top, um, will put them in good stead, I guess, for the for the semi final and the final. Because of course, those two, if they got to the final, you know, it's likely to be a, a very cagey affair and could go the the whole way. And um, 
you know, having possession of the ball is of course very important um, to kind of you know regain control. I mean, just one thing I like to say, I do slightly worry about them just in terms of a team unit. I still think they're very reliant on Lionel Messi to do something, and if he doesn't do anything, then. I'm not really sure where any sparks actually coming from for them. Yes, they've got good players. I mean, Enzo Fernandez is a fantastic tournament, but the likes of Julian Alvarez, who has led the line quite well, is not really a player that's going to sort of pull something out of nothing. Is they're still very much reliant on Lionel Messi to do something, like he did with that pass, or like he's done at moments. Goal against Mexico in the group stage really important. You know, I still think as a team they're still so reliant on him to do something, and if he doesn't turn up, then I don't see how Argentina do anything as a team. I still think there's a big reliance on him and if he were to have an off game then I can see them struggling against Croatia for sure well ahead of this game as a neutral I build it in my mind as Messi winning a World Cup against Lou van Gaal winning a World Cup very fond of Lou van Gaal he's a brilliant manager and that will probably be his final game as a professional coach um, so just wanted to talk for a minute about him what what impact do you think Louis van Gaal's had on the football, Ollie? Um, I obviously think he was one of the chief pioneers, obviously after Johan Cruyff, of the of you know the total football mentality, and he's brought about and he's spoken regularly about the um, about the need and the the people's craving for attacking football, for possession for possession based football, and you know more more importantly attractive football. Football that's good to watch because obviously when Louis Van Gaal came into the came into football how many years ago 20, 30 years ago um, think about the con- consistent think about and maybe even maybe even more than that think about the consistent amount of you know of, of teams that were playing with you know playing four four two playing such direct football I mean obviously I'm, t- I'm, I'm speaking primarily from an England from an England perspective here. Um, he came in. He revolutionized, he revolutionized not just Dutch football, but but European football in general. Um, I obviously, I've, obviously, my view of him has been scuppered, been scuppered slightly as a Manchester United fan. Um, however, that doesn't take away from what he's done. That doesn't take away from what he's done for the game in a broader sense. I think his Man United time was. I think his Man United tenure was a blip. Um, obviously, he did. He did reasonably well at Bayern Munich. He's done. He obviously did brilliantly at Barcelona as well. To a to 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 a great to a great extent. So I think that I think that Louis Van Gaal has been, you know, he'll he'll always be looked back at, be back on, he'll be always be looked back on fondly, um, fondly in a, in a greater sense. And that Ajax ninety ninety five Champions League Ajax as well. Ninety five yeah. as well. Absolutely. So looking ahead to tomorrow's game, Croatia Argentina. 2018 World Cup finalists against the 2014 World Cup finalists. They played each other in the group stage in 2018. Croatia won that 3-0. But what can we expect from this tie, Charlie? I think it's going to be a really tight game. Um, as we know, Croatia are really hard to break down. They don't necessarily score that many goals. They're very rarely ahead in games. In fact, they've only been ahead for 46 minutes in, in the whole tournament, and that was against Canada when they won. Other than that, all the games have gone to, got, have gone the full distance. They're always in the game, though. You know, unless you kill this Croatian side off, they they've got a never side never say die attitude, and they're always in with a shout. So I don't know. I think they're going to be hard to break down. I think the midfield battle is going to be really key. Modric, Brozovic, and Kovacic are up against like Enzo Fernandez in that Argentinian midfield. I think that's going to be a, a key battle there. Um, Croatia's front line we know is not the best yes it can function well at times but there's not necessarily a lot of goals in it um, but 
I think this is, for me, this is ultimately going to come down to whether Lionel Messi can produce another moment of magic on the big stage or not. Because if Croatia keep him quiet, it's a big if, then I can see them probably keeping Argentina out and possibly being able to nick something the other end, whether that's from a set piece or, or, or a well-worked goal on the counter, potentially. Or if it goes the distance, I fancy Croatia on penalties um, every time. So I think it's going to be very close. If I had to give a result... I'll go for Croatia win on penalties. Well, if I saw the last game as Van Gaal against Messi, then this is Modric against Messi. Who would you rather see get their hands on that World Cup, Alex? Uh, for me, I, I just I personally like Messi because nothing against Modric, but I just I don't know. There's something about how well Messi's played this tournament, how close he got, obviously in 2014, and you know I think all of us know that if he if he were to win this World Cup like Maradona did in 86, it would really cement him as, as the undisputable greatest of all time. Um, personally, I already think he is, but that would just make it, in my opinion, undisputed. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's been incredible to see Messi kind of transform on the international stage as someone who didn't, you know, he kind of shied away from that tal- talismanic figure back in, let's say, maybe 12, 10 years ago, maybe even when Maradona was manager. Um, but now he's really he does you know there are definite similarities with eighty six, with, with how this tournament's gone so far. Um, don't attempt fate, but you know I I think Argentina are, are in a good position right now. They kind of they've improved steadily, as the tournament's gone on. Um, they're not the prettiest side to watch, but you know they're tough to beat, and they kind of view every game, especially since they lost the Saudi Arabia game. And since then, it's basically every game's been a knockout game. They've had to win every game basically. Um, they viewed each game almost like almost as a war, um, you know. So it's it's been fascinating to watch Argentina matches in in all honesty. Um, yeah, I think they can do it, and I'd love to see Messi do it. Nothing against Modric. Um, so there's four teams left in the competition. Oli, do you think that the winner is going to come out of this semi final? Sadly not. I don't think so. I've backed I've backed France from day one. I think that France have got ultimately too much star quality um, I think that, yeah, I think that France have got too much star quality I think Kylian Mbappe on his day um, obviously was was marshaled very well by Kyle Walker on Saturday night but I think that ultimately when it come, when it comes down to it I don't think any either any of these teams have the perfect foil that England did for um, for stopping Mbappe um, obviously everyone would love to see Lionel Messi win the World Cup and you know in the in the twilight of his career. Um, and in his last World Cup, um, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't mind seeing Croatia win win the World Cup. I mean, you know, the fairy tale story of a of a smaller nation winning the World Cup would be would be a re, would be a really really nice narrative to have. Um, but personally, I don't see either of these teams beating France. Okay, so before we wrap it up, guys, I want a concrete prediction from this game. Alex, Argentina two. Charlie, Croatia penalties. And Oli, Argentina two one. I will go Croatia. On penalties after one all draw for the third game in a row. Thank you very much, everyone. That has been the Londoners World Cup preview of the semi final. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.